This show is sponsored in part by the Mid-OhioCon, October 4th and 5th, 2008, at the Greater Columbus Convention Center in Columbus, Ohio. For more information, visit midohiocon.com. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. The Major Spoilers Podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and we'll go into detail about the topics we discuss, so if you haven't read, listened to, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. This time around, we lament the loss of a new imprint, the loss of some old friends, and the loss of Steven's patience. Meanwhile, Rodrigo's in the time stream, Steven's in free fall, Matthew's in Tower City, and Skrull Brian is deciding if you can't take over the world, at least take over Bogey's drive-in. Plus, we know your mom addresses you funny, so why not win something for wearing a funny suit? All this and Cell Block 4 as Major Spoilers provides the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything. The Major Spoilers podcast is on the air! Welcome back, everybody. Thank you. I want to thank I want to thank you for taking the time to download our little show and listening to it, and occupying po- a portion, just a small portion, of your week. We're we're happy to do it. That's uh, what we do. You know, I'm also really happy that we had the Mid Ohio Con as our sponsor all these many weeks. Uh, check them out, MidOhioCon.com. It's this weekend, depending on when you're listening to the show. Mark. Mach 5 will be there. Yeah, the Batmobile will be there. Yeah. <laughs> so check it out, midohiocon.com, and if you're at the convention, tell a major spoiler sent you. You never know what might happen. So. <laughs> Here's what'll happen. <laughs> <laughs> They'll ask you for money, and if you don't give it to them, they won't let you in. <laughs> hey, major spoiler sent me. What the fuck's a major spoiler? <laughs> yes, we are going to use some foul language this week, so if you are Rodrigo's parents, you might want to turn it off now. <laughs> so some sad news, upsetting news, some someone is going to die news. Uh, it was announced, it was, it was rumored to a couple of months ago, mm-hmm. back in August, that this was going to happen, and it was just confirmed at the Baltimore Comic Con this past weekend, Legion of Superheroes will end officially at, at, at issue number 50. Here's what Dan DiDio said. We're going to bring to a close the Legion of Superheroes now. There's a lot going on with the characters. I thought that Jim Shooter and Francis, uh, what's a Monopol, have done a terrific job with the series, and 50 seemed like a real nice number to bring the series to a a conclusion. Now, I think Jim Shooter, the current storyline he originally intended to have wrapped up at 54, so now that has to be truncated to fit into the remaining five issues. Mm -hmm. Now, Matthew, reactions. My Why? Well, let me ask you that. Let me ask you this. Well, go yeah. ahead. Reaction first, and then I'll ask you a question. My first f- thought was, in fact, three simple words: "Those motherfuckers." <laughs> but I have since gotten over that, and I'm I'm actually kind of agreeing to a point with Didio's ideas for a couple of reasons. The first of which, of course, is Shooter has left the Legion at this point in time. He's built up. He's built up some scripts in advance, but he's no longer actively writing the, the the book. Right. And with Legion of Three Worlds getting the press that it's getting, I'm sure that we're going to see a relaunch or some sort of revamp of what the Legion really means. So, I mean, taking a book that, let's be fair, as well as it's been done, is kind of a lame duck, and clearing the decks for the next iteration of the Legion, it makes sense from a financial standpoint, from a semi-creative standpoint. Hmm. My question is this, Matthew. Why yes. do we keep canceling and resurrecting the Legion of Superheroes titles? Isn't it a future story? Can't we just make anything happen? 
See, that's kind of the point that I've been trying to make with the hero histories is when you revamp, when you reboot the future continuity to fit your current narrow view, say the zero hour view that there was only one Earth and it had to have one coherent timeline and anything that wasn't directly, oh, that's nice, anything that wasn't directly in that timeline needed to be, you know, thrown out and called an alternate story and they, you know, uh, it, it, it doesn't work. The whole point of the Legion to me should be, it's a thousand years in the future, so there's going to be limited interaction with the stories that are taking place now in the DCU. I can see what they're doing because I can tell you that from a, from a creative standpoint, from as somebody who talks about the Legion to people, there's been more excitement about Jeff Johns' action comics revamp of the Levitz Giffen Legion from the 80s than there has about the Volume 5 book since Mark Wade and Barry Kitson left the book. Right. People are excited about Legion of Three Worlds. They were excited about Action Comics. Non-Legion people were excited about Legion of Three Worlds and Action Comics. I think the thing about the Legion is, because it's in the future, there's a lot to learn. And it feels like you're learning more because there's, well, this is the United Planets and this is how this goes. And then you have to know that and realize that Monel seeded these worlds, possibly, at some point. And then all of these people grew up to have these various powers and there's planets full of people with weird names also the science police yeah they have i mean they have future names they have those funny things where you get you know tenzil kim from the planet bismol is not the same as bruce wayne from what's essentially new york city with the exception of some of these crossovers these time traveling crossovers legion this is the thing legion to me is always one of those things that's separate from, really, from the DC Universe proper, because unless there's some time traveling going on, and they're coming back to our time, you know, something like Infinite Crisis, or something like, um, you know, the the Sinestro Corps War, may not even have any impact, you know, a thousand years from now. It may be just a footnote. It may be less than nothing. Right. So... I don't know, trying to, to justify, with all these things going on in these other titles, we better cancel this one uh, so we can sort things out, just doesn't ring true with me. Now, it, Rodrigo, what are your, what are your thoughts on this, on this story? Well, I, I mean, you don't read Legion. I, I pick up a random Legion stuff every once in a while. I really, I, I like the Legion as a concept. It's it's kind of hard to get into, honestly, un- unless you had somebody say writing down the hero history of every individual member. Huh, if that only would, there was would, a place where people could find easier. all that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> but um, we'd have to find a guy who has no social life whatsoever. <laughs> Majorspoilers.com. Anyway, um, thank you. Actually, I do have a social life. It's you know just ten minutes every alternate Friday. <laughs> Anyway, it's I can't I can't say that I don't like because because they're gonna reboot the Legion. I mean, right. this is this is clearly right. what they're gearing up for. Right. And to me, as somebody who's always kind of wanted to get into the Legion but missed every iteration of the Legion getting started, I'm kind of thinking, hey, maybe this is where I can get into the Legion. But I don't know how long it's gonna last. Before they reboot it again, you know, is it is it worth getting back into it? Is it worth get is it worth getting into it now that it's about to end? Is it worth now that there's an end point to kind of try to go back from there and try to figure it out? It seems like it doesn't. And the Legion, as as cool as all the characters are, um, 
and as weird as all the characters are, which is something that I appreciate in a book, right? Um, it always seems like there's so much work because there's ten versions of it, and because perhaps because it is a book that's set in the future, and because it's separate, they use it as a guinea pig, and they try to you know they reboot it, and they do soft reboots on it, and they change things up, and they swap characters in and out, and it just you know it, it f- feels it, it's it's kind of. Um, it's kind of hard to get into. It's kind of inaccessible for me. Matthew, what is the difference between Legion and mm-hmm. Legion of Superheroes? Legion is L period. It's a it's an ana- it's an yeah. acronym. Legion. Uh, well, going into old man uh, mode, I'm God. I'll tell you. Um, in the I want to say the late eighties, like eighty six, eighty seven, DC was trying to rejuvenate their space kind of franchise. To try and, you know, I think, to try and get sort of the same verisimilitude that Marvel has with the Kree and the Skrulls and the Shi'ar mm-hmm. and right. the Silver Surfer and all that. And what they did was they put together a series called Invasion, where ah, great several, series. yeah, several alien races, including the Daxamites, the Dominators, the Durlins, all of whom start with D, and are important to Legion terminology and Legion history, but hadn't been part of the modern DC universe, were introduced. The modern portion of the DCU. Coming out of that... Snapper Car and Lobo, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> a character named Vril Dox, who, depending on who Brainiac is that week, is either the son of Brainiac, the adopted son of Brainiac, or a clone of Brainiac. Vril Dox put together, basically, uh, a licensed police force where people paid him to be their cops. The Licensed Extra Governmental Interstellar Operatives Network, or Legion. There you go. Nice. There you go. Dox's Legion is actually kind of a forerunner of the Legion that the Legion of Superheroes in the future, in that certain members of the group, um, Largand, who eventually became known as Monel, was a member of Dox's Legion before he was put. This is this is of course post crisis, pre zero hour, so it may not be true anymore. Right. But but he was put in the Phantom Zone. <laughs> See, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> See, well, this the is the, great, great stuff, great ideas. Yeah, but it might not be true anymore, except unless it's Tuesday. Then it's true. Except again. when it is on alternate Tuesdays. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, well, this is why I bring up the Legion. Who, this is why I bring yeah. up Legion because it's been confirmed. This is from uh, Lying in the Gutters over at Comic Book Resources. Tony Burdard or Bedard is writing a mm. new Legion series based on the '80s '90s series. Mm. So, will we see Vildrox again? And wasn't, you know, wasn't my Legion, the Archie Legion, didn't it also have, it was the alternating weeks or by uh, twice every other week, it was right. Legion of Superheroes and then Legion? It was Legion of Superheroes and then Legionnaires. Oh, that's right, Legionnaires, that's right. The book that had uh, the Legion the with the L, L period, E period, right. G period. That book started as Legion 89 and I then did. became Legion 90, Legion 91. Ran through, I think, 94 or 95 when it became Rebels 94. Yeah. And then was canceled. But that book essentially is kind of a modern-day, strangely darker version of the Legion that we know. It has a Brainiac 5 type. It has a Shadow Last type. It had Strata, who was a member of the same race as Block. Yeah, uh, I but- think I... And it also had Lobo and uh, Snapper Car, right? <laughs> it did have Lobo. It had Captain Comet. Yeah. It had Snapper the Emerald of Ekron. Yeah, you have to go back did, old did have, school. Did it for, have uh... Prez? No, I don't think so. <laughs> did you just mock uh, Prez? All right, all right, all right. <laughs> in, I didn't... in front of me? <laughs> I 
I did not necessarily mean to put right, Snapper yeah, so Car and Prez in the same category. I was just saying it's kind of random for Snapper Car to be there. It was it. it was pretty weird. You had to go back and read that that original series to really find out how they kind of resurrected Snapper Car and turned his hip daddy o lingo and you turned his actual snapping power or snapping uh you know from the 60s daddy o stuff into an actual power right. which later he got his hands chopped off so nice i think <laughs> All right. i think darwin cook oh, did it because yeah. if you read but- the uh the liner notes for New Frontier, he's like, he had, like, all these rules. It's like, Snapper Car does not exist. <laughs> oh, if only that were true. Hey, moving from sad news to more sad news. Uh, also DC news. DC canceling the Minx line. The Minx line being the line aimed primarily at uh, young girls and trying to pick up the, the manga crowd. Matthew, I were you aware of the Minx line? Did you have a lot of Minx uh, people right. buying at the store? <laughs> I knew of the existence of the Minx line from previews and from you know, stuff on the website. I don't think we got yeah. any Minx titles in. Um, I think if we got Minx titles, they were you know ordered specifically for people. But the thing about Minx that frustrates me is, uh, once again, it seems like we're caving into the theory that Comics are not for kids anymore, and that girls won't read them regardless of what you do, and we can't make a That's profit totally off sad, this. Though. It's a totally wrong idea. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it is too, but one of the things we have to do is get away from the mentality that we have to sell convoluted stuff that essentially equates something that well, 35 year old men who read the comics have already seen. DC I mean, is a for profit company. So they're always going to do everything they can Mm -hmm. to generate a profit. And so even though Legion of Superheroes may be in the top 100, I think in August it was right at number 100. Mm -hmm. Um, When you see a title like that or when you see the Minx line, which really is, I guess it was launched two years ago, you don't even give it a chance to grow. Mm -hmm. I mean, Legion of Superheroes went 50 issues. That's what, four or five years yeah. Uh, that we've had it around. Minx line, you didn't even give it two years before you you canceled it. I think I think what companies in general have sh- should really think about is not launching an imprint, just really essentially releasing individual titles and just really small in the bottom left corner be like, this is by DC Comics. Well, that. But you know, the other thing is. It seems like what DC is doing with these two announcements is maybe we should just focus on what we know best. Mm-hmm. Wonder Woman, Superman, Batman, and whatever Grant Morrison's writing this week. Yeah. Because that apparently is the only thing that DC mm. thinks is selling. But honestly, I, I think the, the imprint thing is part of well. the issue because they're like, okay, we're making an all-girls imprint. So, so we're launching six titles and most of them are going to tank. Just like if you launch any six titles... Most of them are going to tank. Well, that's what the whole fall season is about. Most right? of them are going to tank. You yeah. launch all these TV shows and hope that something sticks. But 20th Century Fox can afford to do that. <laughs> but DC Comics cannot. I, I mean... Yeah. I, the- Not only that, the TV series is, first True. of all, a much wider scale with this much back, more chance for casual viewers. And this it's has a been my problem all along. Rather than a monthly These experience. companies, so, I've asked... I asked Mark Wade about it. I've asked other guests that we've had on the show. This is the problem with the comic book industry. They do not know how to frickin' market themselves. You've mm-hmm. got a whole network, CW, 
that you can hype your crap for nearly free. I mean, sure, there's going to be some modest exchanging of monies, but really, if you're doing a Smallville show, you should be advertising the crap out of your DC superhero shows. If you're doing a show like Reaper, you need to be pimping the crap out of your Supernatural titles. The only thing that I've ever seen uh, CW and, and DC do is with that Supernatural comic book. They mm-hmm. actually had a Supernatural ad that ran during the Supernatural television series. But this is, the, this is, why, they're, this is why they're not finding a new audience. You know, somebody came up to me today and they said, Stephen, uh, is there a comic book store in, in town anymore? And I said, well, the last comic book store was, you know, Gulliver's Tattered Covers way down on, on 8th Street. Oh, yeah, I remember that. But there's nothing here now. Here's somebody that's been around for 50, Gulliver's Tattered Covers hasn't been around for nearly 15 years. And yet this person is still thinking back in those days. How does this person know where he's going to buy comics or what comics are out there if people aren't freaking advertising? They need to get out there and push their stuff. Two new viewers, Smallville, Saturday Morning Cartoons, which I granted is going to cause some problem with some people with the whole, whole pimping the toy line thing. But Yeah, but they're already doing that. They're already, the, I mean, they're already, they, they've always been, I mean, this is ever since the 80s, they've been launching out cartoons right, but for the, the sake of a toy cracked, line. But government has kind of cracked down on uh, that s- still. But still, get those titles out there. Let people yeah. know that, hey, you like Batman? There's five Batman titles going on right now. Go out and buy one. Check one out. Well, there's four it's be, titles it's and one goddamn Batman title. Well, but there's going to be one less because my understanding is that uh, right. uh, what's that one Gotham or um, Batman Confidential is going to be on the chopping block soon, mm. which is fine. I, I've read Batman Confidential. Have you read it? Like I, I said, mean, I think a couple on. shows ago, they should have never canceled uh, uh, Legends of the Dark Knight mm. in favor of this this thing. You know what else is on the chopping block? I guarantee you, Jonah Hex and Blue Beetle. Blue Beetle, a brilliant series, mm-hmm. is going to be on the chopping block very soon. It won't surprise me if by March next year that series is canceled. With only 12,000 issues selling, believe me, that series is going to get canceled. And it's a shame because people aren't marketing it. There's no way that they're letting people know that, hey, there are these titles out there. You know what I think is, is, is a genuine issue is... is um the fact that uh, have you ever been watching TV and seen a commercial for a CD like for for a, like yeah, for they, a, an album for a new band? They do it at the end of every Smallville. Uh, in the at the music played in this uh, in this show, music from so and so and blah 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 and so and so and go buy their songs. And that's the way to do it. But I find I, I watch those and I was like, that's really awkward. It's it's weird to market a CD on TV. And I wonder if part of the issue is that nobody actually knows how to market a comic book on television. You like Smallville? Go read more Adventures of Superman and in the pages of Action Comics. And that's, you like that's Batman? specifically... There's Batman titles. And that's I guarantee right there is the way you, to do it. I guarantee you there are people... Somebody that I gave a test in class the other day, and the bonus question was, who is... Uh, what is Superman's real name? Clark Kent, Kal-El, Jor-El, or Zod? And the students that answered it correctly, I said, well, how did you guys know this? We knew it from watching Smallville. Mm-hmm. Come on, DC, get your stuff together. There's no reason why you should be second place month after month after month in the market sales. There's no reason why Arcana or Dark Horse or any of these other companies can't get their stuff in front of more people. Dark Horse, God bless them, 
They do really great in, in cracking that top 20 every month with Buffy the Vampire Slayer because somehow they've tapped into that Buffyverse universe. But I know that there are more Buffy fans well, out there than Dark there Horse, are Final Crisis number three fans. Dark Horse is putting out the Star, has been putting out the Star Wars books, right? Right. How is it possible that the Star Wars book books aren't beating the crap out of any other book? Exactly. The Star Wars fan base is rabid. Nobody knows it's out there. Exactly. Advertise, people. Advertise. Don't put your house ads in your magazine. Put them somewhere else where people are going to see it. Put it in Variety. Put it in Hollywood Reporter. Put it in Premiere. Put it in wherever. But put it out where other new audiences might be. Role-playing games, this goes for you, too. I'm sorry to go off on a rant like that. I did not expect to. Matthew, you know, you've been quiet. Please jump in. <laughs> I think one of my concerns has always been that there, and, and even today, there is a feeling that while the superhero genre is acceptable in movies, that A, all comics are about superheroes, and B, all superhero comics are for kids, whereas... The books are being written by people who have essentially yes. grown up in a very incestuous industry to the point where what are our what are our big crossovers? Our huge stories this this summer essentially are either a retelling Ooh. of the Kree Skrull War from 1973 or a retelling of Crisis on Infinite Earths from 1986 for the guys who've already seen it with a new twist on it this time because we got to keep it topical. We're feeding into the same fan base. We're not creating any new fans. And by the time the fans get here from, say, interacting with Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man movie, which had, you know, this weird energy and this vibe that was kind of kitschy and weird and, you know, off the wall. And, hey, he's this wild superhero and he goes and he has fun. And then they go read Iron Man, director of yeah, S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, and it's Harry Griffin, Fuhrer, Stark, trying to take over the Marvel Universe Marvel did and force something everybody into right what he by wants. creating a new Iron Man series, and I forget the name of it right now, but it was... It was yeah, that what it was that yeah. did not feature Invincible Tony Stark as Shield, right? So it was it was almost a different right. universe, Iron Man, I, specifically to tie into that uh, movie market. Yeah, that money market, and I, I think that it's telling that DC's most successful imprint, Vertigo, was right. not. Designed as an imprint, it was books of magic, Sandman and Hellblazer and Swamp Thing and and Animal Man books that had launched separately with a similar kind of feel that after a couple of years were successful and then were brought together and tied into that Vertigo thing and then they had to quantify it as a Vertigo title and a Vertigo universe and we got all that dreary stuff in the 90s where you'd get a new superhero only this time he'd be bald with a lip ring and his girlfriend would be bisexual and it would be you know right. a Vertigo comic right. because they cursed right. and and you know had black eyeshadow on to the point where Vertigo had to kind of reinvent itself again but i mean that was a situation where they took existing titles that were successful and made them an imprint rather than trying to launch an imprint, which, to my knowledge, in my history, has never yep. been successful. Comics Greatest World from Dark Horse. What was the um, Tom Strong? Marvel 2099. Yeah. DC's Helix imprint. Yeah. America's Best Comics. Now, that, that was more successful than some. That ran like five years, but even that went under because it was 
it was so predicated on the creators yeah, involved. Was, creators was Tangent gone, an actual imprint? The book was no longer. That just no, a, that was like a, <laughs> that was one of those yes fifth no. week. Yeah, yeah. Tangent uh, was like uh, a, a, a fifth week done. Every so often you have a month that actually have five weeks. And so instead of a uh, trying to get a, right. your regular stuff during that week, they created this fifth week event. So I think that's mm-hmm. when we had Tangent. We also had uh, Joker's, whatever it was, Joker's World or whatever. Wasn't that one of them? Yeah, and a bunch of other yeah, lines. Emperor, Emperor Joker. Yeah, there was there was Girl right. Frenzy, which had a, a bunch of stuff. Basically, that was kind of a summer stunt, and then they revisited a year or two later, and it was you know still dreary <laughs> and full of Dan Jurgens, and <laughs> neither here nor there. I I, I love Dan Jurgens, I really do, but <laughs> I think my problem is. I don't think they're canceling Legion to cancel Legion. I think they're canceling Legion Which is great. to relaunch and revamp Legion and give us another big... This would be volume six. This will be another big number one and they launch, get Mark which Wade will bring writing. in hundreds of thousands of readers it. who will be gone by issue 10. Ooh, you know what? What would be, be interesting? They'll be gone by issue guys 10 read, because um, something will happen. Uh, what's, what Chris's, uh, what's that guy, Matthew, that's also a big Legion fan, a Karate Kid fan? Chris? Christopher Burke? Yes, Christopher Bird. You, why I should write the Legion? They should get you and Christopher yes. Bird. I know his. I know his website. I don't super blog. They should get the two of you to write the first <laughs> uh, first six issues of Legion of Superheroes. That would be totally awesome. And uh, the, the art Dodsons. should totally be the Dodsons by like something. Ooh, that is something that you don't. I mean, you don't really realize how cheesecakey well, the Legion girls go. are until sell? they start getting cheesecake. You want to sell, and you're not reaching out to new. Francis you're not Honorable reaching out to new audiences. You're only trying to placate the 35 year olds, the Dodsons, yeah. Matthew Peterson, and uh, and Chris's Invincible Superblog. Put that together, <laughs> DC, and you'll have a, a title that will sell more than 12,000 issues. Cha-ching. So I'm sorry, I'm going to get down off my soapbox That's now right, and quit ranting about the problems of DC because I'm not a publisher and I don't know what go- what goes on in in some of these people's heads. I know you're a money-making organization, and feel free to to uh, to uh, cancel whatever doesn't sell. But by God, please go out there and do something to actually reach new audiences. Yeah, exactly. Re, re kind of re. Yeah, well, there's there's a word. Reimagine is probably not the right word, but take something that you already know how to do, put it in a new context, and yeah, try like and give Archie it to Legion. the people who would actually appreciate it. Exactly, something like that. One thing, though, getting yes, back to please. actual more major spoilers business, we are having a costume contest once again this year. Our second annual major spoilers costume contest. All you got to do, if you're listening at home, here's what you got to do. You ready? Well, make yourself a costume first of all. It's like my plan. Okay, here's my plan. Okay, you, I'm going to tell you how to play the flute, Steve. Are you ready? Blow in the big hole. Move your what fingers kind of up costume? and down in the little hole. So make yourself a costume. Any costume, something related to major spoilers, you know, it could be comic books, it could be manga, it could be anime, it could be Saturn Girl. In fact, if we get a Saturn Girl, I will buy you a slushie. But you want to get two or three, well, let's say three to four pictures, different angles, different poses of yourself in that costume, plus yeah, a plain, picture of plain without clothes, the costume, we'll please, fully clothed, yeah. except, exactly, we'll call it what we like to Your call secret identity clothes. clothes. <laughs> You'll send that to us at Major Spoilers. Exactly. Be at Major Spoilers. If you get it to us by the 21st of October, we're going to look at that. Give us your name, your address, the character you're supposed to be, because 
Well, presumably it will be clear, but I dressed as the Flash one year, and everybody <laughs> wanted to know why I was a big red barrel. And we had major spoilers. What we're going to do is we're going to look at it. We're going to narrow down the list to five contestants. We're going to let you vote on who your favorite is. And then on October 31st, Halloween, we're going to announce the winner. They're that winner win will not win only Steve the library volume of the Hellboy collection, which collects the first two trades in a library volume. I've got it sitting here. It's beautiful. That person will also receive the Hellboy animated maquette, which is a beautiful statue yeah. of Hellboy from the Hellboy animated series. He's got tiny legs. But it's a kick-ass statue. Wow. <laughs> I, I had maquettes in high school. <laughs> but a little we also have another contest. No, I'm going to notice edit you're those coughing all. over all my punchlines tonight. You're doing it. Yeah, on he, he he always edits out your punchlines anyway. <laughs> okay, <laughs> We we also That's have another true. contest. We, <laughs> we're looking for the major spoilers theme song. That is that is not necessarily the one. Um, but uh, you can enter as many times as you like. The contest is open until Thanksgiving. Um, the winner gets the latest uh, absolute edition of Watchmen. Yeah, when it, you know, which will come out. And we do time. have a lot of people who have entered. I would like to get a lot more. Yes. Haven't found. I haven't. Everybody who's entered has turned in some really great stuff. I just haven't ha- found that one that just strikes me full of ooey gooey ooh this is it kind ofness. Yes. Does that make sense? Oh, here we I, go again. <laughs> I have a major spoilers theme song. I, okay. I have, Listen I have up, an everybody. idea for our major spoilers theme song. Okay. Yes. Are you ready for my major spoilers theme song? Okay. Spoilers <laughs> exciting and new. Come aboard. We're expecting you. I got, the I got spoilers one. All right, Rodrigo. This, this show is quickly devolving. Right. How about this? Major spoilers theme song. Major spoilers theme song. There you go. There you go. There you go. There you go. No? Where yet? What about my baseball major- theme song? Major theme song. Baseball theme song with the baseball bat. What about my major spoilers bring all the boys to the yard? Nice. It's better than yours. Nice. No? All right. Let's uh, fill our tummies up yeah, with right. some meatloaf. Mm, meatloaf. And you know, I'm kind of looking like meatloaf Hello. himself these days. <laughs> a little bit more uh, hair on the back, a little less on the top, and he would Wait. do anything for less. <laughs> hey, he does look. Hey, I saw him in well, Fight Club the, the other day. He looked remarkably anyway, like you. Let's get to some reviews. <laughs> mine are much more. Uh, yeah, yours mine are, are much, much better. Like, never mind. Rodrigo, let us uh, share some reviews. All right, I'm reviewing. Cable number seven, of course, the latest uh, comes out this week. Yeah, excellent. Um, now let me let me preface this by saying that I hate cable and have always and so do hated I. cable. Um, for a, a cable, cable, uh, it's it's embodies a lot of the things that I don't like about comic books, and I guess specifically about comic books in the nineties. But but about comic books in general, he's a convoluted character from the future. Um, he's got a giant gun. He's telekinetic. He's got all you know. He's psychic. You've just described gun. half of what Legion of Superheroes is about. <laughs> but they're actually in the future. Oh, though. Okay, he's come back from the future to do to to be a cool guy in the X Men. What they're doing right now, oh, what, and there are no what they're doing now with Cable is actually makes him a cool character because Marvel seems to, in general, kind of have gotten the idea that some of these characters play best not as superheroes Mm -hmm. but as their own thing Mm -hmm. sort of how thor is kind of a classical hero rather than a superhero right right now and ghost rider is essentially a cowboy 
rather right. than oh, somebody yeah, yeah. Sit, you know just sitting around metropolis waiting for you know uh, somebody in a giant it. green suit to attack yeah um so cable right now is basically it's cable with a little kid strapped to his chest yeah a little mutant huh? baby yeah a little the the first mutant baby since m day um basically hopping through time while bishop um another character that's a time another traveler. character that's a time traveling character that i've never liked because he's a time traveler is not the same future, he's a from nearer the future, future but not the that same is also future. alternate, which basically now did not take place. Except this bishop is from a future that has now going to take place, presumably. Is he still black, and does he still have the big M on his he's eye? He's still black, still has a, the, the mutant thing on his eye, which also multiple man has too, which is weird. Does does he have that huge he, he does not. afro he mullet, which is now. like nah. down to the back? That's how you make him edgier and bring him up to the oh, current time. Yeah, that's right. Shave everybody's that's, head. That's, that's, that's what Luke Cage did, and it did Thank wonders for him. All right. Anyway, um, so basically they're doing with these two characters, and specifically these two characters, um, what, you know, they found a good formula for them, which is they're two crazy zealots from the future. One of them is a zealot who wants to keep the baby alive. The other one's a zealot who wants to kill the baby. Because in, in uh, Bishop's future, the reason why essentially the new version of Days of Future Past or whatever, the mutant apocalypse happens because of this kid. Ah. So. Kill it. Exactly. So basically it is that. It's um, And in this particular issue, this particular issue is cool because it's got a little something for everybody. It's got Cable. It's got a uh, scantily clad lady. Um, it's got the White Queen, apart from this other scantily clad lady. Um, Wolverine be... makes an appearance. No way. It's, sure, it's like you know, like <laughs> seriously. This particular, really? I was, I was flipping. Really? Wolverine makes an appearance. I was, in I was flipping. Title? I was wow. flipping through this issue, and I was thinking <laughs> this particular issue, Cable Number Seven, has something for everybody. The art is cool. It's got action. It's got Cyclops being, you know, a cool leader guy and going through an interrogation it's got uh what is it x-force so all the purple x-men all so the purple big, cutty x-men big fat guy with the little glasses no that's x-factor <laughs> oh okay i get them confused yeah i do too um yeah, yeah. strong guy but have, strong and, and guy. The, the funny thing about x-force i don't know if you've seen it it's like um wolvesbane i think wolverine and x-23 32 Something like that. So three guys with claws yeah. and Warpath, who doesn't and have also. claws, so they gave him a knife. <laughs> Two knives. One for each hand. Two yep. knives. Yeah, and like, now they have yeah, Archangel, cutty, who cutty has wings. wings. So they're Made of knives. Right. Trying to figure something out. Now, right. is this the first time Bishop appears in this in this No, tale, or Bishop has, he has been, there since has been kicking one? around the whole... Uh, and I forget what the storyline was called. Um... Messiah Complex. Right. He's been around since Messiah Complex. Um, and, and that's basically when, when this whole thing got started. So this spins off of Messiah Complex. Ah, okay. Essentially, at the end of that storyline, before the X-Men moved to San Francisco. Um, <laughs> yes, but... You know what? In, in a lot of ways, the X-Men are just as complicated with as Legion, if not more. Um they're only made fractionally more accessible by the fact that they actually take place in the present, but that's about it. On, I, I will, I will absolutely give you that. The X Men are just as complicated as the Legion. I'm personally just more familiar with the X Men. So, Rodrigo, you've been invited over uh-huh. to dinner with the uh, with Cable. 
mm-hmm. and he offers you some meatloaf. How many slices of that uh, cable meatloaf are you going to have? I'm going to very surprisingly look down on my plate and realize that I've had three slices of, of meatloaf. Wow. Uh, I think I think I've been Is infected with meatloaf? a cyborg virus from the future by eating it. Um, but it's okay because uh, when they take away my telekinesis, I'll just replace it with some force fields and being jacked into the internet. Just proving that uh, Cable must be easier to understand than Legion of Superheroes. Cable, the last issue of Cable back in August, uh, placed number 55, while the Legion of Superheroes number 45 placed 98th in the top 300. Hmm. So there you go. I I think that's all cross-pollination, though. Like, people are reading X-Men, and they jump to Cable, and they jump to Ah. X-Force and X-Factor. All right. So three slices of meatloaf from Rodrigo for Cable number 7 out this week. He says it's got something for everyone, so if you like onions, you like extra bread, you like some ketchup on your meatloaf. Little bit, bits of boiled egg. A little bit of Wolverine mashed in there. Cable yep. number seven. Matthew, in enlighten us with something spectacular. Hi there. I have a book which does not have Wolverine in it. Okay. <laughs> which proves that it's not a Marvel title. Hello! Uh, this week, I, I, I kind of wanted to go a little closer to home, a little closer to my particular wheelhouse, because I've been trying to branch out, but I also don't want to forget what brung you to the dance. you got to dance with what brung you. I want to look at uh, Dynamo 5 number 16 from Image Comics, which to me right now is the second most accessible mm-hmm. Image comic out really? there. Really? Even right more after so than uh, Walking Dead? But... Much more so than Walking Dead. Well, you know, from my perspective, Walking Dead is wonderful. Walking Dead is a great drama. Walking yeah, Dead right now has a pretty strung out cast. And they're at a point where if you pick it up, you're like, my gosh, do I have to buy six trade so paperbacks to know how we got where we got? Now, Dynamo 5. Dynamo, Dynamo, Dynamo 5, number 16. And um, I've been with Dynamo 5 since issue one based on the writing of Jay Farber, I believe it is. I loved his work with Noble Causes. I loved his work uh, for Marvel several years ago. Um, this particular issue is kind of a return to form. In previous, the last couple of issues, the, the Dynamo Five, who are five half-siblings, all of whom find out in their late teens, early 20s, that they, they are the illegitimate children of Captain Dynamo. Yeah, that guy got around. Essentially Superman, but he's Superman with a super libido. And the Dynamo like Five came together as a superhero team and for about 12 issues did well and then they kind of had a few moments where they were forced to rely on each other and some secrets came forth and they've stopped talking to each other so the basic the kids of dynamo 5 are not actually the dynamo 5 right now and only their she's not even their leader she's just the hottest member of the group scrap the super strong girl goth chick in a little tiny outfit has assembled a new dynamo 5 out of supporting players that we've seen in the book previously uh, a character named quake who has emotional issues and takes Prozac to keep from flipping out. Uh, Vigil, who's this masked secret Batman-type woman. And, of course, the Firebirds, who are Jay Farber's greatest creation, as far as I'm concerned. A mother-daughter superhero team with the exact same powers, who actually act like a mother and daughter in combat. Excellent. So this issue basically opens with the five of them acting as Dynamo 5. Tower City, since the Dynamo 5 broke up, has been overrun with costume villains. For years, Captain Dynamo kept them away, basically kept it Metropolis. His kids were able to keep him away for a year or so, but when they broke up, everybody came to Tower City because it doesn't have a superhero. Nice. 
So we see the new Dynamo 5 in action. It's very interesting, and we find out that, well, I'm going to go ahead and spoiler it. because That's because that's, that's the name of the show. Major spoilers. That's right. Through the story, we find out that, of course, the other team members are still kind of arguing with coming back to duty. And as Scrap and her new Dynamo 5 go into battle, they find that Flag, the foundation for law and government, that came from Knight Rider, by the way. Nice. Um, it's the uh, Dynamo 5 Universe's version of S.H.I.E.L.D. Flag took into custody a group, uh, I believe they're like, kind of like the Hydra or the Sons of the Serpent. They took all their weapons, and now 36 agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and or Flag have actually started being supervillains in Dynamo in Tower City to try and make some money. Cool. Oh, nice. So the heroes figure it out. They come together. They work it out. There's some great character interaction where at one point, Quake, the guy with the emotional problem, snaps at somebody. And she's like, have you taken your pills today? Ah. And then, of course, he turns around and he hits on the elder Firebird, at which point her daughter's like, are you totally hitting on my mom? <laughs> which is nice. But we get to the end of the issue and we find that Scrap has to actually call her brothers and sisters together. To save the life of Maddie Warner, who's actually the widow of Captain Dynamo. The issue ends on kind of a, a little bit of a cliffhanger where they have to bring the team back together, specifically the team's telepath with the great superhero name of Scatterbrain. But it's mm -hmm. a nice action issue. It sets up all the characters. You see all of the members of Dynamo 5 in their regular identities. They make it clear who they are. The art is just awesome. Mahmoud Asrar handles the art on Dynamo 5, and he does he does some really beautiful women. He does great crowd scenes. He has teenagers that look like teenagers. Mm -hmm. He has Maddie Warner, who's a woman probably, you know, you figure Lois Lane at around 45, 49 years old, hmm. makes her look 49 years old without making, you know, falling to the usual superhero, or superhero comic, I guess I should say, short hand. Mm -hmm. So she's a woman of roughly 50, but she's attractive. She looks feminine. She looks like a real person. Cool. cool. Jay Farber does really well with character interactions. His plot is interesting. Um, I'm actually you know, very happy with this particular book, and I've been me, a big proponent of it. If I were eaten with the Dynamo 5, uh -huh. let's say we, we went out to Cook's American Grill and we were going to get some meatloaf, I would probably, because you know, I'm a fat man, probably have four... Possibly even four and a half slices wow, of Dynamo nice. 5 meatloaf. That's how good this is. It's it's not spectacular, earth-shattering crossover. But for what it is, for a, you know, a, a piece of a serialized story that's telling a story, clearly telling it well, not overwhelming me with this is the most important thing in the universe, but also not just your standard day in the life, hey, I sure do work at McDonald's and then I have superpowers. It's a very well done book, and I think that it, I think it should it appeals to or it could appeal to superhero fans and non superhero fans alike. It has little elements of soap opera without having melodrama. Dynamo mm -hmm. Five is a really good series. It's a real good issue. Cool. Now let me ask you this, Matthew. It Seven. seems that no, the <laughs> answer I'm looking for is nine. Bethlehem, uh, Pennsylvania. Oh, go on. Also not the correct answer. The correct answer <laughs> I'm looking for is, doesn't Dynamo 5 kind of do a soft reboot every once in a while? Like, they did it after the first story arc where they jumped the story five years ahead so that new readers can get on board. You're thinking of Noble Causes, ah, which is gee. Jeff Barber's other book. Okay. Uh, Noble Causes did jump five years forward in time. Dynamo 5... Well, see, maybe that's where I'm getting... Maybe it's because it's by the same author. 
But aren't there? Mm-hmm. They don't have characters that cross over between the two, do they? Or do they, they don't have regular characters that cross over. But the Dynamo Jay Farber writes several books for Image, and his characters, much like Eric Larson, will write a book and have his recurring characters come up. His characters do cross over. So Doc Noble from Noble Causes appears in this issue as a supporting character. Okay, so that kind of blows Both. out my my question. I guess the the next question would be: Is this a jumping on point? For new readers, or do you have to know all of the sordid history of who did you who really, in the back room? You really don't. It's very, I mean, it's very clear without being overly expositiony what's going on. Where Scrap in in the middle of that first fight, Scrap is talking about, you know, how naturally, in fact, how she brought them all together, and cool. now they're going out on their first mission. And then you cut to you know two of the siblings having an argument in Texas. And then you see two of the other siblings having a discussion in Detroit. It's an interesting book, but I think that you know all the signposts are there. It's not hard to get into. I'd recommend that. I know the first couple of trades, I think, are out, trading like the first either nine or 12 issues. But, I mean, I, I think it's got an, an easier jumping on point than a lot of things right now. Rodrigo's cable number seven is out this week, again, depending on when you listen to the podcast. Right. Dynamo 5, number 16, you're probably going to have to go to the new last week uh, category yeah. at your local comic book shop. Yeah. I have a brand new title that's also coming out this week. This is from Space Dog Entertainment, which if I remember correctly, and I'm probably going to get this wrong, is a kind of a partnership imprint with Top Cow Entertainment. So Space Dog mm-hmm. Entertainment is the, uh, is the imprint or the company. Uh, and the title that I'm reviewing this week is Zero G, number one of four. Now, before I get into this uh, into this review, Rodrigo, what's what are some of the fondest space disaster or space movies that spring to your mind that are not uh, Star Wars or you know Empire? Alien? Okay, Alien. All right, Aliens. Aliens. Okay. What about you, Matthew? You got some big space kind of. I like Dark Star. I like Silent Running. Enemy, oh, Enemy Mine. What, Ooh, what about Armageddon? Capricorn One. Yeah. Capricorn, Capricorn One doesn't really count for this. But you know okay. what? Take all these other movies, all these famous space Deep movies Impact. like Alien, Aliens, Deep Impact, Armageddon. Cram them all in together. <laughs> and you have Zero G number one. Now, this is a new miniseries from uh, director-screenwriter Alex Zam and artist Jason Badower. Uh, and you can tell that they are putting this together to try to make it a movie. What happens is the main character, whose name is Atom, not Adam, but Atom, mm. uh, is a space scientist that discovers a huge is, is asteroid. Is he really small and really beefy? No, he's beefy? not. He's not, surprisingly. Okay. And there are a few uh, penis jokes thrown in uh, to kind of reassure, reinforce the idea of Adam being a very uh, tiny okay. thing. But, the, uh, but Adam discovers this huge asteroid that's going to pass between Mars orbit and the moon orbit. It's going to be the closest it's ever been in 30,000 years. And guess what? This asteroid contains enough precious minerals and uh, gems and whatever that whoever can land on this asteroid and bring a chunk back will shift the balance, the economic balance of power in the entire world. And, of course, he tries to keep it quiet, but it slips out, and so every country in the world... Every private corporation is all racing to this asteroid to get a piece of the rock. Now, <laughs> the name of this asteroid, Asteroid 1492, for those of you that uh, know your history. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. So they even make a new world joke about the asteroid as well. Weird. Yeah. You'd figure when they have an overt reference like that, they wouldn't uh, follow it up with actually making jokes about it. Well, you know, that kind of goes into, uh, well, that's a topic for another time. Uh, but, so, this uh, crew of, of U.S., this Adam gets uh, enlisted or drafted into, the, into NASA, or Nassau, depending on what part of the country you're from, <laughs> to travel to the asteroid and try to get there first and get a chunk. Uh, the Chinese beat the USA. The USA uh, shoots... Uh, I think Kazakhstan or somebody out of space. Nice. They land there, and everybody's trying to get their little claim on it. No sooner do they land and start exploring, do they discover a cave drilled into the side of this asteroid. And as they go in, what do you think they find? Is it a bunch of eggs? Not eggs, but dead alien husks. Oh. And as they begin their investigation, it looks like, oh, maybe somebody's still alive. Or... Some, maybe it's one of the Chinese people coming to sabotage them. So they go running off, a couple of them go running off down the, tidal, down the tunnels, and one of them gets separated and falls over the edge of this little ravine. And, of course, the low gravity, of course, he doesn't get hurt, but he lands into a pile of dead aliens. And as he's trying to figure out his, his way out, what do you think appears? Another alien? Um, uh, another alien that it comes and bites this guy in half. Nice. So... Also of paramount importance is the time window that they have to get their chunk of asteroid back to the United States. They only have 72 hours, or else they run out of oxygen, and the asteroid is too far away from Earth to mount any kind of rescue mission. Mm. And And, it blows up. Well, no. (laughs) But, getting close. They lose communicate with this guy, and they say, oh, let's all head back to the ship. we got to make sure everything's accounted for. We can move on from there. No sooner than they get back to the ship than, oh, no. We've been sabotaged. Sabotage! Someone has blown up, or someone has crippled our rocket. There's no way we're getting back. We're stuck here. And there's something out there. There's something on the wing. So Does, does, does Vin Diesel take off his goggles so he can see the <laughs> not, monsters? Not, not at that point, but oh, okay. I'm sure something like that will happen now. Uh, the one saving grace for this story is, you know, the, the people are going to be rescued somehow, whether it be the Chinese people or the corporate uh, person that's that's flying in, uh, helmed by one Evelyn Sanchez, a very hot uh, scientist mm-hmm. who is working for a private corporation, who was at one time... A love interest for Adam. You are correct, sir. Oh, man. This is like fill in the blank. This is like Mad Libs yeah, it's for, space, for writing a space, space Libs. <laughs> For writing your space movie, okay? And Darth Vader verb. <laughs> Luke Skywalker. Past mm. <laughs> tense verb. That's impossible. <laughs> so even though this is just jam-packed with cliches, the art is pretty good. Mm-hmm. The story is what you would expect from something that's coming from Hollywood into a comic form. And is something that, to me, is pretty obvious. It's going to be shopped around for a movie, mm-hmm. right? It's not that bad. As jokey as we're doing, and as yeah. much as I can just say, and then, and you guys know the answer without even seeing my notes, I'm giving it, I, I'm cutting back. I'm trying to watch my weight. I'm giving it, I know, shut up, Rodrigo. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm going to give it three slices of meatloaf out of five. Okay? It's not bad. It's out this week. It's worth checking out, even for the full, full page shot of, of Evelyn Sanchez, and uh, moving on from there. Nice. So it's it's not bad. <laughs> We've got a few minutes. 
really brief few minutes. Brief minutes. Let's see. How about this? How about we? I've got this question. We'll save for another show. How about this? Uh, I asked the question up on the Major Spoilers website, majorspoilers.com, this week. Has the current economic crisis affected your comic book buying habits? Yes or no? Rodrigo? Uh, everything I buy, I buy on impulse. Okay. So the economics of things, I mean, you know, if I feel like it, I'll buy something when I have no money anyway and just charge it. Or, you know, sometimes I, you know, get a kickback and there's nothing I want to buy, so I don't, I mean... So it all balances itself yeah. out. Matthew, is the current economic crisis affecting you? Indirectly. Um, I think what it really does is it forces me to look at the stuff on my pa- my pull list. I'm actually pared down to n- right at two pages of pull list. Wow. It makes me look at the things that I'm going and say, you know... Am I enjoying this enough to keep spending money on it? And I'm sure it's, you know, looking at the amount of money I spend, I'll probably pick up between 7 and 10 comics a week. Mm, that's that's and, probably you're on par with me. Yeah, and I look at it from the perspective of usually even if something starts to irritate me, I'll try to give it six months. But I'm looking at it now as they haven't, you know, on X title hasn't entertained me for three months. Why am I spending time? I'll come back when somebody well, tells me it's good or well, buy a trade. Hold on, or, next issue know. of X title, Wolverine shows up. <laughs> well, oh, I guess Matthew's gosh. not buying that then. <laughs> yes, if I could afford to buy every Wolverine title, uh, we'd be independently wealthy. Yeah. Excellent. I still haven't checked my lottery ticket yet. Uh, for me, the, you know, the, we haven't felt the impact here. All of our investments are in other places. We're not with a bank that uh, is screwing up any kind of our mortgage stuff, knock on wood. Uh, so for right now, no. But if you would take a moment, go over to the Majorspoilers.com website over on the right sidebar. About halfway down, you'll see the little poll, yes or no. Just takes a moment of your time. All right, guys, let's get into our trade paperback review this week. Uh, I think it has so- several of the panel members irate. <laughs> or maybe I not. Say I rate more vexed, but I I, I do want to do one thing in, in honor of the late Don Lafontaine. Okay, I want to do I want I want to intro this. Please do as that's Don Lafontaine. Are you ready? Yes, please. In a world where justice has gone mad, less than thirty miles off the coast of Florida is an island, and if you get to see it, you may never leave. This summer. This is San Tiburon, home to beautiful shores, crystal blue waters, and the world's most dangerous maximum security penitentiary. Corrective measures coming this fall. Swish pan. Actually, it's actually been out before, but now it's getting the trade paperback form. Uh, I think it's the first five or six issues. This is from Arcana Studio. Uh, You can find them at arcanacomics.com. Their Arcana Studio is actually doing some other kind of cool things. Is it Arcana or Arcana? I call it Arcana. Isn't it Arcane arcane. Magic? It is Arcane Magic, but I think you talk about the Major Arcana in a tarot deck. Well, there you go, then. Arcana. I've been calling him Arcana. Arcana. You call it Arcana? Tomato, tomato, let's get to corrective corrective measures. Let's get to corrective measures. All right. So, this, uh, as Matthew said, there is a maximum security... I, you know, it seems kind of uh, maybe off-the-books kind of facility. That's what's kind of hinted to me in this book, that they're taking all the super criminals in this universe, mm-hmm. and they're putting them there. Uh, where have we seen this before? Well, DC has Blackgate. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marvel, Marvel has what? Has- the end zone? The negative zone? 
Well, they have they have level forty two now. Before that, they had the vault. Before that, they had the no, they had the raft. Before that, they had the vault. Before that, they had Project Pegasus. Right. Marvel's been doing Project, this for years. Yeah, Project Pegasus is back or something. So, it just the, there's actually this is an interesting tale for me because while there is a central story of bringing Metro a new Galtus. bringing a new captain to the uh, to the facility, a new guy. Mm-hmm. There's also several little stories that are kind of told in each issue. For example, the uh, first guy is Payback that they bring, this mm-hmm. guy that for years has uh, – it's a vigilante, but he goes out and kills people that have uh, mm-hmm. done wrong, villains that have done wrong. And he's finally captured and brought to justice, and he's thrown into the penitentiary. And he uh, thinks he's going to go ahead and, and exact his revenge inside the facility. Mm-hmm. Of course, it doesn't quite turn out that way, but mm. – and I think Matthew has probably one of his first things that vexes him right with one of the opening pages of this of this piece. One of, one of the opening sequences. Um, well, the first the first couple of pages, I, I, I have to say I like the cover, what, what I believe to be the cover of issue one. Right. Uh, aside from the appearance of an inmate who looks just like Don Rickles. Which is <laughs> funny. I did not see that until you pointed it out. It cracks me up. So at the beginning, we see a helicopter arriving at this mysterious island, this secret military installation. And I can hear in my head, I don't know if any of you are, are HBO watchers, but I can hear Augustus Hill's voiceover, prisoner number 995, payback, sentence 15 years. But we get to the point where this character, who seems to be a Punisher analog, from what I can tell, yeah, I would agree. is being brought to uh, Centiverone. And he flips out on the tarmac, nearly gets himself killed in order to basically show that he's cock of the walk, beats up on this innocent prison guard and says, they don't get it. I'm not locked in here with them. They're locked in here with me. Now, I don't know. I, I, oh, I'm like, ooh, I'm shivering. This guy means business. Yeah, I loved it the first time I heard it when Rorschach said it in Watchmen number 9 20 years ago. <laughs> and I, it's not, I mean... There's that fine line between homage and literally cribbing Alan Moore dialogue. It is exactly the same phraseology. I mean, yes, I will freely admit that if you've read A Hero History, I'm stealing from all over the place. But I'm trying to do it in the form of either an homage to something else or change it enough to where you think I'm clever. This one felt very much like – it felt telegraphed. And it kind of set me on edge going into the book as we started the book with this great line – but it's somebody else's great line. Yeah. Which then makes me, you know, look at everything else through the prism of, well, that was Alan Moore's line. And as we go through, we, we have characters, and I'm, I'm reminded of uh, Oz, a lot of Oz. And then there's, you know, about halfway through the first issue, there's that obligatory huge Shawshank Redemption moment. Right. That mm-hmm. that payback has well. And, in fact, in fact, the prison as uh, or one of the prisons up in Illinois, as the main character of this story is unveiled, as he's driving away, it looks like Shawshank Prison. Yeah, and as as we go through issue one, another troublesome thing comes to me. We have uh, we we meet who I, I think is supposed to be our main character, our, our sort of our eye guy, mm-hmm. um, who's. Just lost his job at a prison. Because he gets a little excessive with the He lost his job at a prison. I I think I want to tell this. Go right. Go right ahead. Prison. Okay. Prisoners riot. Something gets broken. And he stabs a man in the gut with an 18-inch piece of broken glass. 
Now, does, this is the corrections officer whose job it. it is to stop the fights. Well, he stopped the fight. Yeah, by stabbing a man in the stomach. It seems like he would it's, be the perfect type of person to be able to control a rowdy bunch of supervillains. Or kill him. But he's not, he's, he's not the kind of person that makes me want to read this book and think, hey, you know, we're looking at, for dramatic contrast, we're looking at this character who's going to go in and show the supervillains that they're wrong. You know, even if you don't look at the argument of, hey, why are we rehabilitating them? What about recidivism? How come, you know, this, that, and the other? Because that's a whole political ballgame. But you look at it from the perspective of these characters are in prison because essentially they walk through life with superpowers and say, I do what I want. Right. So in order to control them, we have a guy who stabs a person in the gut in order to stop a fight. But then we have the moment that it, it, it's it's a good moment. I will say it's not a bad moment, but it's very Hollywood cliche. Where as he gets home from being fired from his job, a mysterious man in a trench coat shows up and offers him a new job, a place called San Tiburon. Yes, and this would be Warden Warden Devlin. Warden Devlin. Devlin. And, huh? Does anybody remember a, a movie from uh, mm-hmm. the late seventies, early eighties? Uh, uh, the Devil and Max Devlin. Yeah. And what was the whole point of Max Devlin? It was. He had to go out and collect him some souls. Had to collect him some souls, and we see his devil, home life. Devil, evil. Uh, you know the, the character. Guy, I think his Rodrigo. name is. Gotcha. Is it Clark? Uh, I think that is Devlin's first name. I can't remember this guy's name. I was just quickly trying to look okay. for. It. Do you remember his name? Mm-mm. Let's just call him on the cover of issue John or something. John's good. We see John's life, and of course, he has a beautiful young wife, and they have a newborn baby, and they live in this little house in the suburbs, and they love to have this great new job, and they need the money, and there's so much where I just go, screenwriting 101, let's take a moment and pair this back, but... You know, I don't. I don't want to be too insulting because there are there are good moments in the book. There's a moment where he and his wife are lying in bed having a discussion about whether he should take the job. That felt very good. That felt right, right. very natural, very real. I've had that conversation. I've had it recently. But he decides to take the job dealing with these horrible criminals, and to show how horrible they are, we cut to payback in a cell. And here's the moment where I'm gonna I'm gonna flat out say it. They lost me. Payback is in his cell, and a former supervillain, some, you know, goon, is washing the floor. He's become a trustee. He's cleaning the floors. And Payback throws a note out of his maximum security cell. So, A, Payback has a pen and paper. Yeah, not a good thing. B, his maximum security cell has a a window roughly the size of a mail slot to where you could actually reach out and choke somebody. Right. So, how maximum security can it be? And third... A, B, and and three. I was never too good at indexing things. The note says "gotcha." The villain looks up, and payback does something. Yeah, which is not really clear to me it's, either. It's not clear here. They explain it in the next issue. Something flies out and impales the man in the eyes, both eyes, and kills him. And they cut to payback, smiling with blood coming out of his mouth and two of his teeth missing. Yeah. And they make it clear in the next issue that payback spit his teeth. Through the man's eye, killing him. Excellent. I mean, talk about a badass. And this is <laughs> this is payback's this is payback's main reason why he's at jail. As we find in issue two, uh, let's call him John uh, comes mm-hmm. to the prison and he wants to check things out. And he's going to be the captain, which doesn't sit well with a lot of the other um, guards at the prison because they were all hoping to get a uh, 
promotion. Uh, a promotion, but instead Devlin is bringing someone in from the outside. He says, hey, let me go talk with Payback. Let me go talk with this guy. And so he's talking to him, and it's revealed that, hey, I allowed myself to be captured. And he comes off as kind of this Hannibal Lecter-ish type guy. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, you have read my file, but you've only been in here in 10 minutes, and I can tell that you're married, and you have a kid. You're from Ohio area or the Midwest, and your your kid's <clears throat> probably a daughter. And it comes to find out that, you know, Payback let himself be captured so he could be in the prison to kill all these bad people. Mm-hmm. And you might think, eh, it's not too bad of an idea. Let the inmates kill each other. And even Payback approaches John and says, hey, I want you to help me out. I want you to work with me here mm-hmm. and help me kill all these bad guys. And John mm-hmm. thinks about it. And, and again, this is another part that loses me. He says, comes back the next night or whatever and says, okay, I'm in. And then we go to the next morning, and Payback's taking a shower. And as you see in every prison movie, all the prisoners exit out except for Payback. And suddenly John's at the doorway with all these other prisoners, and they beat the holy crap out of Payback. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, did that make sense to you? No. That- it didn't. There was no indication in the character's demeanor or even in like a, a thought balloon or a caption that indicated that he was trying to set payback up or do anything. If there had been a moment where, you you know, you saw John, uh, I think his name's actually Jason something. Okay, Jason yeah, something. Yeah, Jason. Jason something, where Jason gave some indication that he was involved in duplicity to take out payback, who is a large problem for the prison, it'd be one thing. But uh, aside from the moment where payback does the whole... Did he sodomize you, Clarice? Right. I mean, it was it was a complete Silence of the Lambs moment. Then we cut to a scene that I've seen hundreds of times in Oz. I mean, yes, again, there are things that you have to do. If you do a cowboy story, you have to have the shootout at high noon. If you do a love story, you have to have the big kiss at the end. If you do a prison story, you have to have a beat down in the shower. Because, of it's, course, it's that's what happens. happens. Sure. That's what happens in, in prison movies. But <laughs> oh, you there, sound like there, you know from experience, Matthew. Please share. There are ways. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot of clever things going on here, but there are things that feel like it feels like rather than having an in. This is not to me a story about being in prison. Right. This this is a story about stories about being in prison. Yeah, and that's what I kind of like after reading the the. Actually, as we go into the third issue, I started to feel like, hey, this is a series, this, this story, the corrective measure story, is really about the prison and the things that go on in the prison. Because the first issue is all about payback, the second issue is all about John or Jason or whatever his name is, and how he's going to be the badass mofo at the, at the prison mm-hmm. and keep all, mm-hmm. the, all the people in line. And then this third story is about uh, this guy that's up for parole, who was mm-hmm. the shocker. The conductor. Uh, the con- oh, the, the conductor. conductor. I'm sorry. I'm thinking of something else. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, he means but the Spider-Man up- villain. That's what yeah. That's what I'm saying. Uh, so he's up for parole. He's been in for 28 years. He's pretty sure he's going to get it. He goes before the parole board, and they turn him down. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, he decides, "I'm going to pull a Shawshank. I'm going to be the only person yeah. who've ever escaped from here." And the way he does it is very good. It's very clever. He almost makes his escape, except for John Jason, 
captures him at the last minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rodrigo? Which, again... Rodrigo's quiet. Let's ask Rodrigo. Rodrigo, you talk. You haven't said much. Blah, 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 blah. All right. Um, My turn. Yeah. Just like last week. (laughs) No, um, well, and, you know, he... I thought that this book was strongest when it was obvious that it was... When you get into the vignettes. Mm -hmm. When you get into, here's the conductor trying to escape. Here's the racist guys sniping at each other. Right. But that's not how the book starts out. The book starts out as uh, it seems to me as an actual narrative, not not a not not kind of an episodic thing. So it was right. actually jarring, sort of in a good way, to get back to to, to get to a place where this is like this is evil Astro City mm-hmm. essentially. You know exactly. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I thought. And, and 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 that was like, oh, okay, good. The the this book just got good because I was I was real lukewarm about it the whole time. The the main character, John Jason, mm-hmm. is not. Um, he doesn't. Jingleheimer Schmidt. Yeah. His name. <laughs> and his name is my name too, so that complicates things. Um, Wait, your name's Rodrigo. <laughs> <laughs> um, John Jason Rodrigo. <laughs> it's a common name. Um, but uh, <laughs> it's it's really not. The. I, I was I was having a real hard time approaching this book, starting because it did seem like a big collection of cliches. Because we've kind of seen superhero prison before. Because I, I don't know if you guys are aware, but tiburón means shark in Spanish. I, so this is I knew that this is this is the prison of Saint Shark, which oh, really? you know it, it, to me like coming in I was like, so is this supposed to be campy? Like, you know, is, was that a joke? Was that just like a throwaway thing? Because this is the name of the prison. Yeah. Who would name the island that? Who would name the prison that? Well, like, it is off the Florida coast. Right. And then, so there may be so there, sharks So there was the some, some Spanish conquistador who just had a sense of humor and named the island <laughs> Saint, Saint Shark. Shark. I That's think interesting. I, Rodrigo brings up a point that occurred to me, though, too. There are some stylistic issues where... There's not necessarily huge problems with the plot. Now, there are wedges of the plot that feel familiar. And I've said that before. Feeling familiar is not necessarily a fatal flaw. The problem comes in sometimes, to me, the actual language, the specifics of dialogue and naming. Like, San Tiburon is a problem for me. Mm -hmm. There's a moment where John Jacob Jingleheimer Rodrigo Schmidt is reading a dossier on one of the prison criminals. And we see, instead of the, you know, the usual blah, 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 we see what it says. And I want to read this to you because this is indicative of my problem, what, my biggest problem. What page problem are you on? I'm on page 32. Oh, okay. He's looking at it. It says, Paul J. Maxwell, codename Slingshot Crash, powers unlimited force, level maximum damage. <laughs> nice. Well, hell, I mean... Somebody went well, and did a lot of work on that dossier. And the the language, the dialogue, and the linguistics of it, like, for instance, Payback's real name is John Locke. So he's really? a prisoner named Locke. Yeah, but John Locke is also that guy from Lost. Yeah, the character from Lost. Oh, interesting. Which, who knows? I don't know when this was written. I mean, this, uh, let's this, go this, back this might predate Lost. No, I don't think so. It doesn't? I don't think so. Let's look here. Go ahead with so, what you're saying, Matthew. When you get into, there's some prison sequences with the conductor. The conductor's story feels very familiar to me, but familiar in a good way. Mm -hmm. 
Um, if you've if you've seen Oz, and I'll make the reference here that no one will get except for the four people that've seen Oz. Basically, the conductor is Boozmalis, the guy who keeps trying to dig his way out of Oz. Right. He's been there for a while. He's you know, he doesn't think he's going to get out. But then he has that big help, helping of Red throughout the thing, where he goes up in front of the parole board and tries to tell him what they want to hear. Yeah, and but he does have that. He does have that moment. He goes up and he even says, I go before them and I, I tell them about all the 28 years and how I'm a reformed and how I'm, I'm just the same as they are now. And then they still had the nerve to look at me and say, how dare you come before us and ask for parole? Yeah. Now, here's, here's something that I want to point out that threw me in the midst of the conductor story. Okay. On page 84, the conductor is speaking in first person, real time. Right. Says, I am a 57-year-old student, or supervillain. I do this. I have arthritis. I am ready. I have testimony. I have good report cards. The next page starts with, I stood there that day. Mm. We've gone from present to past tense. Right. In the middle of a key scene, giving away what's going to happen, because now he's speaking in past tense, but right. there's the, that shift... That again, the shift in the dialogue and the, the the specifics of the language threw me out of the conductor's story to the point where, when we get to the really good bit where he's you know he's trying to escape, and his escape starts to go pear shaped, but he's clever and he's quick and he he you know gets away, and then John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt shows up. Rodrigo, Rodrigo. Rodrigo is a, a, a very common name in Panama. <laughs> it is. There were, like, there. there were like three the Rodrigos in, in, the, in the maternity ward. That was out. Yeah, exactly. And the conductor has a moment, which to me is probably one of the strongest moments in the book. Absolutely. I would agree. Where he, he gets out and he finds himself in the prison's boneyard, basically the cemetery. Oh, I thought you were the part where he kind of spared John Jacob... Jingleheimer. Well, he does spare life. John Jacob Jingleheimer. He could have killed him. He gets out. The The thing that I love is when he, he almost gets away. He uses his powers. He could kill him and he doesn't. They end up in the cemetery and there's, I mean, there's actual symbolism here in yeah. that this guy could, he thought he was escaping but he just ended up in the cemetery and sat there he just sat and watched the sunset Yeah, and realized that that's kind of all he really wanted was to sit and watch the sunset. So, I mean, it's like he's in the cemetery. It's like the death of his dreams. It's the death of really his superhero persona. It's an ego death to go to that, you know, right. Freudian mm -hmm. extreme. Really good moment, which is immediately ruined by cutting back to the assistant warden going off on this, this just F-word-laden tangent where he shrieks and freaks out that his his high-powered, expensive operatives and his super prison couldn't stop this one old man from getting out. But, you know, John Jacob Jingleheimer Clark Kent, super cop, was able to do it. Well, and, which, but that's kind of the if, thing about Assistant Warden uh, What's-His-Face, because he didn't want uh, John Jason brought in to begin with. Right. I mean, True. he was totally against it and even told Devlin, don't bring this guy in. But right. somehow Devlin knew, well, hey, this is my guy. He's going to be able to, to help us out. And, and he might. Uh, and it seems like Devlin knows what's going on at the prison before anyone yeah. else knows what's going on at the prison. Something, something 
I'm going to bet something supernatural is involved in some of this. That that might be. And he has some, like, mysterious benefactor or somebody that he's talking to. Yeah, Mr. Goldring. Right. But mm-hmm. uh, to me, both Devlin and his assistant warden seem to be kind of, well, and I hate to just come out and say that, but kind of poorly written. They're poorly written kind of as stereotypes right yeah. right down to 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 Devlin's southern accent he's like right. this very Alabama, devious yeah. southern, southern gentleman right man needs perspective else he finds out he ain't got no worldview dot 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 yeah yeah and i can definitely see that and there's there's a moment that comes soon after that where we're introduced to two inmates right uh, and this one is, of them oh to me this yeah, gets this is, to the heart of what the Oz show was all about where you have exactly. all of these uh, these gangs or groups. Here you have the white supremacists. Here you have whatever. Yeah, all these different. To put the, yeah, go ahead. To put the Oz references in place, this is basically Super Schillinger versus Super Saeed, yes. where you have the the leader of the Aryan Brotherhood, and they even call it the Aryan Brotherhood. Mm-hmm. Now I don't know if there's a real gang called. Brotherhood, if if that's what if that's what the Aryans call their groups, but this character is essentially Vern Schillinger from Oz. Yeah, and the Vern Schillinger character and the character who's the head of the Muslims, who is very much like Kareem Saeed from Oz, they have this ongoing thing where one of them is a white supremacist, one of them is a black Muslim who believes that the black man is superior, and they're both jackasses. Right, and they butt heads and. This is really the point where the plotting for the first time kind of went off the rails for me because the, the <laughs> they're having the moment where the two of them are, are fighting and once again, you know, somebody tries to kill him. Uh, kill Jason, John Jacob Jason, Jingleheim. Yeah. Right. And he takes somebody out and he takes these two people into a room. And this... I think it's supposed to feel like hard-nosed Green Beret torture tactics. But what it felt like is a 12-year-old kid – well, I don't want to say 12-year-old. That's very condescending. Someone young who wasn't, you know, in the military – I myself never was, so I can't tell you if my perception is real – but their perception of what tough, hard-nosed Green Beret tactics would be like. Mm -hmm. He basically puts these two men in a room and shows them photoshopped pictures of each other in in compromising situations. And says, either stop fighting or I'm going to give all your homies pictures of you cuddling with your boyfriend. Right. And uh, this, these, these two hard-nosed supervillains in prison for years, these guys who've learned to, you know, kill to survive, are like, okay. Yeah. Or at least so it's, for I'm, now, because he does put them in lockdown. And then, right. without giving everything away, I mean, there's some other storylines that are going on uh, in this uh, five issues. And it kind of ends in a weird way with uh, perhaps payback coming back. And it kind of mm-hmm. hangs there. And th- this is the reason why. This series came out in, in 2008 is what the uh, what the, the trade says. Oh, okay. And this is something that is, I can't remember if it's out in stores soon or if it uh, is in stores now. So this is something that we are actually reviewing ahead of the release of the right. trade. Now, the single issues apparently have already been released. Mm-hmm. What were you going to say, Rodrigo? Throughout the whole thing, I was wondering... If getting the crap beat out of him was all part of uh, Payback's master plan, because, you know, 
John Jason Jacob man comes in and he says I'm in right and I thought and and then he beats him up in the showers or he gets all those guys to beat him up and I was like well I wonder if this is some kind of elaborate plan to get like to get it like his inhibitor collar off or something like that no maybe but it isn't because at the end you have this the scene where um John Jason comes in and he's like, "Oh, I'm I'm sorry, payback. I, I probably hit you a little harder than I should have." Yeah, or you let know, the or, inmates or hit you a little yeah. too hard or something. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and then it's like, "Oh, so I guess no, there was there was no plot there. It 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 is just kind of a weird, awkward thing that happened there in the middle of the book." And yeah. I think it seems like it's a weird, awkward ending because this is an ongoing. Uh, this is, I think, issue six or something comes out uh, in the next couple of months, which continues on uh, this story. As much as I said Zero G was cribbing from every space genre film that was out there, this one tends to crib from, uh, it seems like, a lot from what we've already seen before. Yeah. And knowing that both the people involved, well, I don't know about the person involved with uh, uh, corrective measures, if he's involved in Hollywood or not. Um, Mm -hmm. But it just seems like these are two properties that have been created specifically to drive some kind of future movie franchise or hbo series mm-hmm. right supermax <clears throat> well Excuse supermax me. yes being one of them i could I, see i as i read this and I, I realized what this was telling i was like you know what this is that green green arrow movie supermax that's coming out mm-hmm. now the, the the characters aren't inherently bad but We've seen them before. Right. There's the corrupt Southern Warden, and then there's his sidekick, who really kind of wants to be the head warden, and he's angry, and he's trying to undermine the boss. And then there's the tough guy loner who comes in and revolutionizes everything, and the world-weary nurse who saves all these killers' lives and then agonizes over whether you know her, her Hippocratic Oath is worth saving the lives of super-powered scumbags. Right. There, there are things here that are cool. There are things here that are really kind of innovative but mm-hmm. there's enough very familiar hollywood trappings going on that it feels like there's a lack of focus it feels like this is how the story should be told this is this is what you got to have to be successful but there's not enough of the things that are interesting the the conductor's story was very much reminiscent of the best of astro city or the yeah. best of you know i i, I completely lost it um the best Jay of Mike Straczynski's book, uh, Rising Stars. Oh, okay. I was going to say the best the of the early issues of Rising Stars. Yeah, but I, I think what sinks it for me is not the homages because there's a fine there's a fine line between homage and you know blatant ripoff. Right. And they didn't quite cross it, but they yeah. came close enough to it that the source material is always fresh in your mind. Mm-hmm. You look at that and go, well, this feels an awful lot like season five where, you know, Schillinger and Saeed are fighting and Schillinger's trying to be the good guy and Saeed is out of control. And, or, you know, the, the moment with the conductor felt like Brooks Hatlin hanging himself in right. Shawshank Redemption. Right. There's a lot here that feels like it started as an homage and then went somewhere. Uniquely but, its own. Yeah. And... The, if there had been more uniquely its own, I could forgive the homage. What about the art? There is. Th- oh no. Go ahead. You didn't like the art. And eh, well, there are elements that I liked, but it felt there was a lot of Paul Glacey in it. There was a little bit of Gary Frank in it. It felt kind of like the 
the um, I was talking about this a couple of weeks ago, actually. The the sort of greasy looking, over colored and over computer affected art that we were looking at. It the the art worked against the story for me in a lot of places yeah. because it felt like a book where the artist you know did some work, put some really good lines down, and then somebody made sure to stick in a lot of computer effects to try and make it look cooler. Everything has a gradient effect on it. There's a moment where you see a bulldozer, and I'm looking at the bulldozer, and I'm just stunned at the amount of work that the colorist or someone put into the gradients and angles and colors on the, the bulldozer in the boneyard. And it worked against the story for me because the bulldozer and its gradients have nothing to do with this big confrontation between right. the conductor and the man. Right. Rodrigo? Um, I was not impressed by the art uh, to to the point where in 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 almost everything, even even in books where I don't particularly dig the art, there's there's usually something like a with with Starman where you know I didn't like particularly that style of art, but there are things that are very cool about it. Mm-hmm. This just overall, it seemed like you know here's a guy stabbing a guy with a shard of glass. Here's a guy. Here's actually some slightly confusing stuff like the stuff that Payback does. Right. Like, I, I could not figure out what the deal was. And here's the other weird thing, is they have kind of these, um, they have these inhibitor collars. Right. Very right? much Running mm-hmm. Man. Right. Um, or, you know, any any moment in which the X-Men get captured. Because <laughs> they, they're always powers. doing that. Yeah. Um, they do that in powers, too. Yeah. 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 So... They they can't use their powers, but in random scenes as you're flipping through, you see inmates like right. stretching out and grabbing yeah, yeah. things and, and, and doing other stuff. I'm like, well, you know, like it, it seems that you know, kind of maybe in a different way that Matthew meant. It, sometimes the art is working against the storyline. It's like things in the yep. background take precedence over things in the foreground, yeah. or just kind of distract you from what's going on. Personally, I thought the art was a little muddy myself. Mm-hmm. I, it just, especially to the point where when Payback's getting his payback in mm-hmm. the shower, I was like, mm-hmm. why is John Jason there? Why, you know, what's, didn't he just say he was in on this? And is that really him? And it was really confusing to see through the art and see, is that the same person or not? It looks like the same person, but it's kind of, it's kind of muddied up to me. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I'm just kind of on the, on the art. Bottom line, instead of giving this a, uh, instead of giving this a star rating or a meatloaf rating or a meatloaf rating, uh, why don't we just give it a, uh, read or no read or, I don't know. What else can we give it? Uh, would you recommend? So I, that, would you? I, would you give this to somebody else to read? Are you interested in reading on the, in the the continuing adventures? I'm I'm interested, only if I get some indication that this is going to be more Astro City and less John Jason. Okay. Unless unless he's just a character who's who's going around. So would you recommend this? Uh, you know, I, I don't think. I honestly don't think I would. There, there, there was the the story with the conductor was mm-hmm. the moment where the whole book jailed for me, right? And that's basically one issue out of what six. Yeah, it's actually two issues, but yeah. Oh yeah, two issues out of out of the whole thing, right? And I just overall felt that the book was kind of weak. Okay, so I probably wouldn't recommend it. To I'm going to say that if you like that kind of stuff, if you like the prison kind of genre, and you like your superpower kind of stuff. This is probably a good story. I mean, I liked it. I'm to the point where, you know what, I do want to see what happens with Payback and mm-hmm. John Jason to see, you know, what's going on with that. Uh, Matthew, you always say you give a, something six issues. 
Well, I'm willing to give this one another three or four issues just to see what happens. Single issues or mm-hmm. another trade uh, to mm-hmm. see what happens. So I'm going to say, you know, I'm kind of middle of the road on this. I liked it on the one hand, but there's also a lot of negatives. And, and I think some people out there are going to like this series. Mm-hmm. If I had to just break it down to the whole thrash it or trash it, I think I would probably agree with Rodrigo. I would want to read more, but I honestly can't necessarily recommend the book overwhelmingly because there are I mean there's a lot going on here that I like. There are there are really unique bits and there's some stuff here that is entirely this book. But then there's the troublesome bits of dialogue and then there's some issues with the art. I'd like to see the what the artist and the writer do as they kind of grow into themselves to see whether we get more Astro City, whether we get more stuff like the conductor, or whether we you know we end up seeing what I expect to see. If you set up someone and he's in a situation with ruthless individuals and he has a young wife and a cute little daughter, yeah, where are we going with that? Right, okay. right, right. You, it, 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 at the point where. I would give it another six. I would give it another three easily. Six, questionably. And if at any point within those six, three to six issues, I get another moment where I go, that's Rorschach's line, or this is Adebisi's storyline from Oz, or if they threatened that baby, I'd be out. Okay. But I would definitely read more of this, and I, I actually may check it out and see if I can... Chuck it on the pull list on a quantitative basis because, you know, I, I'm down to two pages. I can add more stuff. So this is from Arcana Studio, correct? Did I say that right? Arcana? Uh, I think so. It's called Corrective Measures. You know, sometimes on this show we're not super kind to a lot of, of series. Uh, some people think that the trade paperback segment is where we just go on and, and gush our, our fanboy love on something. Um, and sometimes it is. And sometimes it is. This time yeah, it's, really is. it's probably not so much. But we think that by giving you this kind of perspective into our views on something, maybe it'll help you make a good choice. Now, that's not saying don't write off Arcana Studio as having oh, yeah. nothing good, because I highly recommend their uh, Clockwork Girl uh, story, or w- yeah. whatever. I think that's the name of it. Yeah, Clockwork Girl. And it is I wouldn't even say write, off correct- I wouldn't say write off corrective measures, because there's stuff here that works. Yeah, and I think this, this is just the first chapter, or the first opening bits of something that's much better or much bigger and may even actually get better Mm -hmm. uh, down the road. So that is that. Now, just to give you a preview of the weeks ahead, next week we are going to review Paul Denny's Madame Mirage trade paperback. Um, It's an interesting story. I read it in the floppies. Uh, We'll talk about that next week on the show. During our October 14th show, we'll be talking Ex Machina Volume 1. That'll be part of our Comics in Politics show. And we're going to have, hopefully on that episode, uh, Dr. Peter Coogan back to talk about, oh, the terrible dark times of comics being banned. It's comics and politics instead of politics and comics. Politics and comics. I got to rewrite my thesis now. No, no, no. Politics and comics. (laughs) Sorry. And then October 21st, we will pretty much uh, not totally wrap up the month. Uh, but be getting there with Captain America, Omnibus Number 1, The Brew Baker Tales. 
So that's what we have in the weeks ahead. I'm excited about some of these. Yeah. I, I really am. I think we got some good stuff to talk about. And thank you, everybody, for listening to us today, taking the time to spend an hour and a half with us here on the show. Uh, don't forget to tell everyone that you know, even people that you don't know about the show, we need more numbers. If you're worried about uh, Blue Beetle being canceled, man, you better hope you better pump up the Major Spoilers podcast numbers. Yep. <laughs> Visit our website, Majorspoilers.com. Befriend us over at MySpace, unless, of course, you're trying to hype us with, Oh, my my name is Sandy, and I've got some naked pictures of myself if you just click here. My name is Jessica, and I look exactly like Sandy, and i got some naked pictures of myself. And my name is Tina, and I've got some naked pictures of myself. My no. name is John Jason. <laughs> Uh, so if you're that person, do not befriend us. But everyone else, if you're real and not a spam bot, uh, please hit us up, myspace.com slash spoilers. We really appreciate everything that you, the listener, have done for us. We've been getting a lot of comments uh, from people, from listeners. There's one that we didn't get to this week, but we will get to in our after the show. If you would like to contact us, comment to us, have a question, have a suggestion, whatever, all you have to do is drop us an email at podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Gentlemen, award-winning, award-winners, Rodrigo and Matthew, thank you for joining me today on the show, and thank you listeners for joining us, because we know that you love comics, and we do too, and we'll see you next time. Stop talking about comic books or I'll kill you. I don't care if the Hulk could defeat the man.